if if you've done everything you're supposed to do, then you can tell them this isn't a negotiation. This is a final decision and try to move the conversation along. But overall, keeping it brief and a little impersonable is a, is a good thing. You don't want to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to miss you so much. This is so hard on us. No, 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 no. They're not thinking about how hard it's going to be for you. And they're also thinking, yeah, right. And it's sending a mixed message. Well, if you're going to miss me that much, why are you canning me in the first place? So keeping it very factual, very objective, being sympathetic, but not going overboard and being too emotional, that's the way that it needs to be conducted. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. When was the last time you regretted firing someone too soon? On this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about coaching, motivating, incentivizing, and liberating employees to be their best, but sometimes they just got to go. For many business leaders, firing someone is the most personally difficult thing they'll ever have to do in their business career, and sometimes we push it off too long, making everyone, including the soon-to-be terminated employee, miserable in the meantime. My guest today is Mallory Heron. Mallory is a principal consultant at Heron HR and author of Intentional HR, A Revolution in Strategic Thinking. Mallory works with clients across the U.S. to improve their people practices, sometimes by helping them remove an employee from the organization. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Mallory. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I am a huge fan of yours. (laughs) Exactly like I scripted it for you. Thank you. Back in December, the CEO of uh, Better.com, Bashal Garg, laid off 900 people via Zoom. He got a lot of blowback from that, uh, some of it uh, you know, well-targeted and legitimate, and some of it clearly from people who've never been in HR or sat in the employer's seat. What was your take on that? Well... I mean, first, I was saddened to hear it. Anytime there's a a big layoff like that, it's a very unfortunate circumstance. But as we've seen, especially over the time since the pandemic began, it's just it's happening more now than I've seen it previously. Um, Overall, though, when I learned the details of what happened in this mass layoff via Zoom, I was pretty appalled by a lot of what happened. What what was the the there was a lot of criticism about doing it via Zoom, but when a workforce is mostly remote, I, I don't know that there was a lot of choice there. Yeah, I don't necessarily have an issue with the fact that it's you know it happened over Zoom. It makes sense if your workforce is working remotely; that's how you're going to connect with them on some sort of video application, right? I'm not a big fan of laying off a bunch of people together. I feel that it's important to preserve the dignity of the individuals as human beings. It's it's horrific news to them. It's life-changing, right? So whatever steps you can take to make that experience sting a little less is important. And so for me, 
my biggest question was, do they not have managers that could have right. met with them individually? Yes, or at least smaller groups, work groups yeah. or peer groups or things like that, rather than 900 people all at once. And yeah, maybe we'll your immediate into, team. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, you know, I've, I've helped in layoffs uh, both in my corporate HR career and as a consultant, but and there are times where you just got to separate people. As soon as the word gets out, you've got to separate them from their IT resources and things like that. And I imagine Better.com being a mortgage company, that was part of the consideration. We, you know, if people can't log in, we're going to, we know we're, you know, the, there's going to be a ton of discussion before we can ever uh, get it to everybody. But um, they could have, uh, yeah, they definitely could have done some some better stuff, and I'm sure this will come up in some of the examples that you talk about. We can, we'll, we'll probably refer back to the to this. And I saw uh, uh, where he's taking some time off. I mean, they're you know they're they're uh, they're in a I think a early stage IPO or putting together preparing for a a, a spark, I guess, or a, a spack and. Uh, uh, Investors don't like that kind of that kind of media, so so he's taking some time. Damage control time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so that's a layoff. But often, when when we have an employee who we just know isn't going to meet standards, is not doesn't have the skill set, the behavior set, or whatever that is we need for them to be successful. Uh, and sometimes it's due to their own behavior, and other time, and it's you know their own decisions, and other times it's just we made a bad hire or the positions changed sufficiently that this person is just not competent for that, for what we need, but we still push off making that decision way too long. Um, I've done it. Uh, and, uh, and I've seen tons of, of managers do it. What are some reasons we do that? Oh, I'm guilty of doing it myself too. It's, it, it's not a comfortable, easy thing. Even if you've got years of experience in letting people go, it's still not fun by any stretch. And it's not something you want to take lightly either. So I think that there are a few different factors at play. Um, first being the emotional level of just the, you know, it's uncomfortable, it's not pleasant, it's life-changing and, and not the best way for the individual that's going to be terminated. So of course we want to avoid that as much as possible. And a lot of people are a little um, adverse to giving bad news or any kind of situation that creates conflict. So when you can put it off as long as possible, it makes us feel a little better, I think. Although ultimately we're not doing that individual or the company any favors by taking that route. Right. And I also think that there can sometimes be a bit of hopefulness in, well, if I give it just a little bit more time, maybe things will turn around. And I can appreciate that. I am a big proponent of, you know, performance improvement plans and giving constructive feedback and really setting someone up for success in a way that things can be turned around, maybe with some guidance and some coaching, other resources put in place. Um, what I see happen pretty frequently, though, is the combination of these two things results in, well, we're just going to do that later. And in the meantime, because it's still uncomfortable to have the conversation that, you know, those action steps to try to turn things around still aren't happening. 
Right. Yeah. We get we we know what we're going to do. Right. I mean, you know, and, and managers know this is where this is going. And I don't want to have the conversation now, but I really know I shouldn't invest a lot more time in in trying to fix something that that's just not, you know, not a good fit. Uh, and right. And I don't know about you, but I, I've talked to a lot of clients, employer clients who say, well, basically, yeah, we have people we got to cut. Or, you know, get rid of just for performance. But a bad employee right now is better than no employee. And we're we're having a really hard time staffing. And so I would rather, I, I even talked to a client who knew a, you know, knew of some employee theft, which should have had somebody terminated immediately. But well, it wasn't that much. And quite honestly, it would, uh, you know, replacing that person right now would, would be a, a big disruption. And I kind of shake my head at that kind of stuff because you're just, incentivizing more of that behavior from that person than anybody else in the organization. But I think there's a lot of that, just the, uh, you know, you even hear people say things like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to have to pay unemployment and stuff like that. And like the cost of that is relatively small for, for that one bad, you know, that one person who's, you know, just not the right fit for the job. Well, and they're really in those situations, setting themselves up for more problems. I am very sympathetic to the labor market challenges so many are facing at the moment. And I can get the temptation to say a body in the seat is better. But ultimately, let's just take that example. Even if it's a minor amount that they have stolen, well, are you getting into an issue of inconsistency in the treatment of your employees? Because if someone else, you know, stole something in the past and you immediately terminated them, as most would, now you're treating this person differently. And then thinking to the future, you have someone else steal something. Are you going to say, eh, well, it's fine? Probably not. And you're also going to have recency issues. So when you do say, okay, now it's time to get them out the door. Well, if that happened six months ago and you're ready to get rid of them now, that looks pretty bad. That's not fair to do to the employee. Right. Well, and it's going to be bad. That's where when the employee comes back and says it was age, race, section, sex, yep. national origin, religion, or anything else, and you try to defend your hiring decision or your termination decision based on activity that you knew about and were willing to tolerate for some period of time, it's really going to call into question in front of a jury how much you really were concerned about that or is this a pretext for something else? Yeah, it looks like you are building a case against them or there's some underlying motive that's going on here. And that could easily be, oh, it's because I'm filling the blank. Here's why I'm different. And that's going to, even a baseless claim can be very costly to defend. And it's just, it causes so many more problems. Not to mention, if you have a bad apple, let's say, the damage that that can do to your culture and even the productivity and the engagement and the morale of everybody else on that team, if, if they're doing the right things, they're working hard and they're seeing someone that's not being held accountable and isn't doing the right things, that's really frustrating. It doesn't really make you want to be at your best and work a lot harder to make up for it, right? So it, it does lasting damage in multiple ways. Yeah, eagles don't fly with turkeys is what I always say. So if you don't move the wrong person out of the organization, the right people are going to leave and the ones you want. And uh, they're going to go find some place where they can be excellent with a group of people that are 
held accountable and, you know, operate at the same level. And it's a huge disservice to that individual too. If you're not holding them accountable, they might think, especially when it's maybe someone earlier in their career um, that hasn't had a lot of exposure to it, like a corporate environment, let's say, they might think, oh, this is perfectly acceptable workplace behavior. I'm rocking it. I'm doing great. And then they'll be shocked to find out, oh, Mm -hmm. no, that wasn't the case. That's, it's not right. Well, and that kind of leads us into the, the, the next issue. Hiring managers or, or, or line supervisors and managers tend to blame HR as being an obstacle in terminating employees. But often it's, it's you know, we have, you know, because maybe we've had some conversations with that employee, but we haven't really documented it. So talk about that a little bit. Oh, I see that happen all of the time. And I think it's one of the reasons why HR gets this reputation as kind of the bad guy, because from the employee's perspective, it's, oh, you're the one firing me. And from the manager's perspective, it's you're tying my hands. But really what it is, if a manager comes to us in HR and says, hey, this person's got to go, my first questions are going to be all about why. And that's immediately followed by, well, what's been documented? Because if it wasn't documented, it hasn't happened. Right. And as far as, yeah, for sure. A lot of the time they haven't. And they'll say, oh, I've told them many times. Cool. Did you write down that you told them that X or Y or Z was an issue? Did you give them ample time since that then to fix the problem? What have you done as a manager to help them do better and just, you know, really be aware of what the problem is? A lot of the time, and I get it, they're busy. They haven't taken those steps. So in HR, we have to protect the interests of the company, of course, and we want to mitigate any risk from a wrongful termination claim, a discrimination claim, anything of that nature. So that's a big part of it is having these items documented. So yeah, we're not going to just say, okay, here's the green light. Let's, let's go for it. If there's nothing to back up this decision. Right. And there's a, uh... You know, I think there are fair criticisms sometimes that, and it's not necessarily HR's fault as much as it is just the organization's policies. But you see these things where you have first a verbal warning, and then a written warning, and then two written warnings, and you've got all this very structured performance improvement program process. And employees know I can mess around for quite a while and get a thirty-day PIP here, and then I can get another notice, and I can and I can drag this out. Uh, and that that's really frustrating to management. And I think that a lot of that came out of the, uh, you know, uh, organized environment and kind of infected the, the you know, more at will environment. But uh, those kind of, you know, programs are just seem to be really outdated. If you're if you've got a good, you know, an ongoing uh, performance management process that your managers are actually implementing and giving feedback and doing all that. I think that. You're absolutely right as far as where it stems from and how it is a little outdated. What I like to do is still have that structure in place. Make sure you're communicating that well, not just here it is in our handbook, read it, cool, but also making sure that employees understand changing the nature of its meaning a little bit. Instead of a, well, three strikes and you're out. So yeah, go ahead and push that line as much as you can. Really making it about this is an opportunity for us to give you feedback 
and to really work together to improve things. Because at the end of the day, we've all got to be on the same page. We all want the same things, organizational success and individual success. And so when you take a step back and stop looking at it really as, well, this is a disciplinary action. And you start thinking of it more as how can we partner up to make success for all of us mutually and really take an active part from a management standpoint and have that individual work together with you to have some more self-awareness, to kind of even design some action plans going forward to, to see some improvement. I think that it changes it tremendously and you'll be more successful with that kind of a program if you can change your perspective of it. And you mentioned the the rock in a hard place that HR is in. The man, you know, the employee sees HR as the ones who are firing them, uh, and and then the managers see them uh, as the ones who are tying their hands. What do you think HR's role ought to be when it comes to you know making that decision and executing the uh, termination? Well, I think that anyone in HR, we've got to strike that balance between protecting the company but also protecting the the workers. And it's really keeping in mind both of those aspects and communicating and the education behind, here's why we're not trying to make your life more difficult. This is why we need to have these things in place, especially from a documentation standpoint. And then also helping others to see termination isn't necessarily, shouldn't necessarily always be the go-to option. Can you think through other things, maybe a transfer, um, sometimes maybe a demotion, which sure, no one likes that, but ultimately it's better than completely losing their job. Um, and really taking a hard look at management practices and what have you done to ensure that this individual would be set up for success? Because if you haven't communicated expectations clearly, you haven't given constructive feedback to help them, then we're not doing everything we really need to do as, as managers and leaders to avoid a termination situation. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 30 and enter the keyword HERIN. That's H-E-R-R-I-N. On February 10th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Legal and Practical Background Check Considerations. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after February 10th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Mallory Heron. So if I'm a leader and I've decided, yeah, it's time, and I've maybe I've got my ducks in a row as far as documentation, um, how do I prepare uh, to uh, separate somebody? Well, there's a, a lot that goes into preparation. The actual termination itself is usually very brief, but the preparation, it's pretty extensive, as it should be. It shouldn't be taken lightly. 
So first, you know, you want to make sure you've got all of your documentation in place. Have you followed all of your company's uh, policies and, you know, disciplinary procedures, whatever they might be? Um, and then you've thought through, is this the most appropriate action? Consult with your HR team. Sometimes you need to consult with your legal team to find out, is this okay? On top of that, you also need to make sure you're having someone in HR or you know someone that has appropriate access to personnel files. Go through that individual's file. Because for example, let's say a manager is having struggles with an employee who is uh, absent quite a bit or leaves early a lot, or maybe they have frequent tardies. And in some larger organizations, this might happen a little easier, but I've seen it in small ones too, where they don't necessarily know or realize that that individual maybe is covered by FMLA. Maybe they've got an accommodation under the ADA. So if you're a new supervisor that just started taking over a team or you know, you're sharing supervisory duties and you're not privy to that, you really need to make sure that someone is looking over that individual's file to determine like, is this okay? Are they covered under something else. You, you need a whole picture of what's going on in that employee's life cycle with you. And then you've really got to think through risk. So protecting the organization. So maybe from an IT standpoint, uh, you don't want someone that doesn't have their accesses uh, turned off at an appropriate time. To your point earlier, you don't want to do it too soon because that causes a ruckus. But you also don't want to do it too late, where then after the fact, they're real bitter and mad and they come back and, you know, hack your stuff, plant some viruses, whatever the cool tech savvy kids do these days. And uh, <laughs> from a, a workplace violence perspective, that's something you want to consider, too. So making sure that you're following all your protocols from a safety standpoint to where building security, if you're in person, is aware if this person should no longer have access to the building after this termination's happened. You have to think about getting back at the company property. How are you going to make sure that this individual's personal belongings get back to them again if their you know, stuff is physically in your space? Um, it's really thinking about going forward. What is the impact going to be to everyone that's still here? How are you going to communicate this with them? Um, what is the impact to morale going to be? Who are you going to have taking on this individual's duties? Is that going to be a permanent shift? Is it something in the interim? Will you be backfilling this role? There's a lot of stuff to think about, and you really want to have these conversations, get your consultation, and get all these ducks in a row before you pull the trigger. Are there different considerations that you see between terminating somebody for a performance issue versus a behavior issue? I think depending on the behavioral issue, there might be more serious concerns regarding workplace violence occurring, mm -hmm. but that's something I recommend anybody still consider in any termination because you just never know. And we've seen it happen. You know, it's been in the news and it's, it's really sad, but you still need to take steps to make sure that the workplace is going to be safe. And we've all seen, uh, you know, certainly the, you know, TV shows and movies where, uh, somebody from security or somebody or a manager accompanies that, you know, delivers you know the message and then accompanies that employee to their desk in front of their peers and just watches them pack everything up and, and you know, marches them out. 
How do you, how would you recommend that an employer handle that kind of situation? Well, avoid it whenever possible. <laughs> That's hugely embarrassing. And right. again, I try to keep, you know, respecting that individual and retaining their dignity top of mind anytime this action has to be taken. So if at all possible, let's say we're, you know, in an in-person environment, take their team, schedule a meeting for them with whoever's appropriate at the same time that this person is being terminated. It kills two birds with one stone. Number one, you can inform the team at that time. It's awful to be on a team and be one of the last people to know that your teammate is now gone or you're getting, you know, the the company email blast or communication, whatever form it takes along with everybody else, because you're usually closer with them if you're working closer with them. And it allows that individual time to have the termination conducted and then be escorted to their workspace to collect their belongings, you know, supervised, but without all of these watchful eyes. It's important to have that privacy when they're collecting their things and when they're being terminated. Do you think there, we hear all kinds of things about uh, ter- not terminating somebody early in the week or ter- not terminating somebody on a Friday or not doing it in the morning versus the afternoon. What are your, what are your timing considerations around those kind of things? I've seen it go different ways and, and people have different opinions of that. For me, I think about what's your busiest time, right? You want to avoid that. And I can see the benefit both ways of either, you know, doing it at the end of the week so that maybe they they can collect themselves in private or doing it at the beginning of the week so they have the rest of the week to, you know, start applying other places. I kind of lean toward that, but really it's whatever works best for that individual organization cuz some of them, maybe they have operations open on the weekend, so it doesn't make as much sense for them to wait until a Friday either. The uh, One of the criticisms of the Better.com layoff was that it was you know four weeks before Christmas. What, what's your take on whether it's a layoff or a, a, a termination for some other reason uh, about worrying about holidays or things like that? Well just the human in me, the mom in me. I I hate when it happens right before a big holiday like that, where, you know, traditionally families are, are likely spending a little bit more to give gifts. However, it goes back to, again, if this termination or this layoff, it's needed, you're really, I don't feel doing favors by holding off. Now, if it's something that it would be appropriate to perhaps give a a severance package in, in a layoff that can help cushion that blow a little bit. But waiting just for the sake of holidays, well, as nice as that seems, it can give a false sense of security to someone that if they feel like maybe something's coming, but then it doesn't happen. And that doesn't help them in the long run. Well, and, and I think, you know, with the heightened awareness of all kinds of bias, Worrying about the Christmas holidays ignores, you know, everything from Ramadan to Diwali or, or whatever other holiday somebody may have, Easter or whatever else somebody has throughout the year. And if you start, there's never a good time to lay somebody off or to fire never. somebody. That's just the bottom line is, uh, and if we, you know, if we start 
nav trying to navigate that minefield. Uh, you're just not going to get there. Plus, like let's say this Christmas, and and uh, and you know, and you know that you know the person you're terminating or uh, you know is going to be impacted over their holiday. You know that is the holiday they observe, even there. So. If, if you lay me off the first week of January, I'm going to be really ticked off because I just went into, uh, you know, $2,000 debt to buy my kids a bunch of crap they didn't need. Uh, and I had no idea I was going to lose my job. And now I've lost my job and I can't pay that debt. And, uh, you know, so I'm in, you know, I'm in, in a worse situation than I would have been had had I had a severance and you had told me in December. So exactly. For me, the only good reason to wait on a termination is because you're working together on an appropriate performance improvement plan. So they're aware, oh, I've got 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is. And if I haven't turned things around, then I'm going to be terminated. That's for me, unless you're investing in that, why are you waiting? Yeah. They, uh, yeah. Unless it's behavior, there should never be a surprise when somebody's terminated. I mean, if you're, if you've got good leadership, even so, with behavior, you should still be letting yeah. them know, hey, your behavior is not up to our standards here. This is the problem. Let's fix that. Yeah, unless it's just critical behavior. I mean, somebody punches, oh. uh, the, somebody punches the HR guy in the nose, they're out of here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah you know. Anything particularly egregious in that manner. Right. Absolutely. That, yeah. But hopefully they would know that that's going to be the result of their actions. Yeah, you would expect it, yeah. <laughs> So we've got our planning together. What is that conversation? You, you mentioned that it, need, it should be brief. And that's another one of the criticisms that um, the uh, uh, Better.com CEO uh, received was that how brief and impersonal it was. And personally, I'm not that, you know, I thought his delivery was horrible, but just brief and somewhat impersonal, I don't think is a bad thing. But give me your take on that. How would that? How does this? How does this conversation go uh, with your clients when you're consulting with them? Sure. So I like to keep it brief and somewhat impersonal as well. Now I don't like the delivery of the Better.com CEO in that layoff, but here's the thing: it's not a great experience. You don't want to prolong that for this individual. I feel that it's necessary to, you know. We don't have to be dramatic. We don't have to build suspense. Let's get to the point. But you can do that professionally and, and kindly. And then make sure you're giving them all of the relevant facts. You know, here's the decision. Here's why it was made. Here's you know what is going to happen going forward. What about your benefits? When will you receive your final pay? Let's talk about, you know, you give me my stuff back. I give you your stuff back because we're breaking up. And you don't want to brush right yeah. <laughs> so you, but you also want to have time for them to ask questions and make sure you're delivering all the information they need a lot of the time that's not going to take more than 10 20 minutes we don't need to be doing this for 3 hours you know <laughs> if they sometimes they'll start to um argue a little bit or mm-hmm. maybe try to negotiate a little bit, you know, but give me one more chance. You know, if, if you've done everything you're supposed to do, then you can tell them this isn't a negotiation. This is a final decision and try to move right. the conversation along. But overall, 
keeping it brief and a little impersonable is a, is a good thing. You don't want to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to miss you so much. This is so hard on us. No, 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 no. They're not thinking about how hard it's going to be for you. And they're also thinking, yeah, right. And it's sending a mixed message. Well, if you're going to miss me that much, why are you canning me in the first place? So keeping it very factual, very objective, being sympathetic, but not going overboard and being too emotional, that's the way that it needs to be conducted. Yeah, well, Bashar Garg at uh, Better.com said, this is the second time in my career I'm doing this and I don't want to do this. The last time I did it, I cried. So it's making it all about him, right? And that's not, like you said, helpful to the employee. It doesn't set them looking forward. And that's that's the thing I always have tried to do is, what's your next step? Uh, you need to, you know, you need to, here's your, co, you know, you need to, you're, you're going to get your COBRA paperwork and here's what you're going to do about benefits and here's how we're going to handle this and this and this so that they're looking forward to their next thing. You know, even, hey, you know, depending on the circumstances and what the company policy is, you know, when you find your next position, you know, here's what I will tell them and, and even have that conversation. Some employers, you know, will do nothing but name, rank and serial number. Uh, but and other employers will, will, you know, will be honest about behavior or performance and things like that. But the employee's question is always, "What will you say?" And I don't, you know, and if and if you're going to say anything more than name, rank, serial number, I think it's fair to share that with the employee just to get them going forward. Uh, now, if it's all negative, I might not do that so so quickly uh, while they're you know within arms of each of me. But the Beyond that, you know, just getting them focused to go forward and and not make it about the manager is, a, I think, a real key trick. Absolutely. I mean, when I heard that the Better.com CEO said that, my initial thought was, oh, boo-hoo. Like, yeah. come on. And you're absolutely spot on. If you, hopefully this is the case, that you sincerely want the best for that employee. It didn't work out at your organization. That does free them up to find the right fit. And what, whatever you can do to keep them looking forward, because it's still a blow, no matter what, mm-hmm. to understand here's what's going to happen next. And whatever it is that you might be doing, you know, especially in like a RIF situation, layoff of any kind, if, if it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be a reference for you or here's who can be. Or if you're offering services to help them with their resume and find, you know, their next career placement, going over that stuff. That's, that's important and very helpful in keeping them with a little bit of positivity and hope for the future. So we've, we've, we've dropped the boom. We've had the conversation with the employee. They've departed. What do we do to take care of the rest of the their team? Uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit about pulling them aside at the same time. What message do you give them? How much information do you share with them as far as causes and reasons? What's your approach to that? I think a lot of it is you, you do have to be careful. You don't need to give nitty gritty details, especially if this isn't an involuntary termination. They do not need to know that. It's not fair. And what I've said to people before, because we're naturally curious as humans, and you want to know, usually they're going to find out anyway, because that individual is going to text somebody afterward. But as the manager or someone in leadership, if it was an involuntary termination, I'm going to say, you know, 
these aren't details that I'm at liberty to share. Um, just as if if you were separating from your employment, you, you wouldn't I want me to deliver that either. You'd want to be in control of, of that narrative. So you do want to communicate, you know, they are no longer with us, effective today, and then ease their fears. So if it's a layoff reduction in force, something like that, the next logical question in people's minds is, am I next? So letting them know what the plan is going forward, if there are, and I get that this can be a bold move, if they're going to be further layoffs, I'm about transparency. Yeah, you're going to run the risk that someone's going to say, well, I'm going to go start looking for another job right now. But you know what? If you're going to be letting them go anyway, that's fine. Um, and I think that in any termination situation, just communicating with them what's going to happen going forward. Should that person not be allowed on the property, that might be something you need to let them know. Um, but really, it's what is your job going to look like now? Are you going to have additional responsibilities? If you are, how long is that going to be for? Um, are you looking to fill that position? You could get some great referrals from you know, your high-performing individuals that are still there. Letting them know what to expect moving forward is hugely beneficial. And then taking steps to repair any you know, dip in the morale and productivity that's going to occur after this termination, that's pretty key too. And I always think it's, you know, everybody often figures stuff out because we terminate somebody and then the next week, oh, we need to revisit our sexual harassment training. So everybody's got to go to this training next week for, you know, or something like that. Or I need to remind everybody about our security, you know, information security policies. And and people start to put you know, tab A and slot A and, and, and connect those those dots to really mix a metaphor. But um, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, you know, they do tend to figure it out. What about damage control? If you're concerned that this employee is going to be reaching out to their peers and that their, their side of the story may be really negative for morale if it, if it goes unchallenged, is there, is there any circumstance where you would suggest that HR or the, the leader in the organization defend themselves, to the, the decision to their employees? Not usually. Um, because again, you still have to be pretty tight-lipped about the details. And I feel that if you're doing things correctly, if you are really shaping that culture continually, if you have managers that are on top of their performance management, um, even though they're going to hear this negativity, it's not going to be that detrimental because you'll still have loyal workers that maybe they can see this individual side of things, but they'll understand from the company perspective too, that maybe not everything they're hearing, you know, that's not their experience. So they won't necessarily buy into it. Perfect. And that's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining me today, Mallory. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey.
As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next time. And until then, do well, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.